Welcome to the OVNI interviews. We're your hosts, Eric Bork and Mikey Taylor. What up? We're the co-founders of OVNI, a brand for interv a brand for interviewers. It's close. I'm just I coming knew up with I, stuff off the top I knew of my head. I, I knew I blew it when I told you. I think you're gonna nail this one. <laughs> I don't even. Let's just keep going. That's finally a keep brand going. for entrepreneurs and influencers. And today we have a guest. We have an exclusive. We have a power guest who has done lots of stuff that you've heard of and you've probably seen them before, but co-founder of St. Archer Beer, uh, co-founder of, Vill are you co-founder or founder of Villager? Co-founder. Co-founder of Villager. His name is Josh Landon and Josh, we are stoked to have you on. Thanks for having me. I'm excited. Right, dude. So this is a pretty, pretty special one for me. Uh, Josh is not only one of my closest friends, but, uh, mentor slash uh what else can i call it? it just josh has done incredible things and he's not the one that goes in front of the camera often so to have him here on our podcast is not only a big deal for us but i think you guys will get a ton of information out of him um and let's kind of bring it back to before i met you yeah uh and you were making surf films i was i still am now i just kind of fake it with these businesses but uh, I was born and raised in Ventura. So like if you, you if you're in Ventura and you don't kind of live around the beach or are surfing by, you know, your mid teens and it's kind of weird, you know, grow up playing sports and I did all that and I, I I knew early on the pro surfing thing was for sure not happening for me. It was not an option. Not gonna happen. So uh, my hero was Taylor Steele. Because he was, I mean, you waited two years for his films to come out and, and the Malloys, they lived in Ventura at the time. And, you know, you had Tom Curran in Santa Barbara and Timmy and Josh Curran in Oxnard. And it was kind of like, it's, it's like one of the best areas in surfing's history in California for pros to come out of there. Right. So Which I'm surprised I never met you growing up. Yeah, I, I was mean, I was there. I didn't, I didn't so know funny. him either. Yeah. yeah, I didn't know him either. Yeah, I mean, back then, though, like with surfing, it's not like it is now where you live in Simi Valley and you check Surfline yeah. and then you go to oh, Pierpont. Yeah. That doesn't... <laughs> no, that I remember. It wasn't like that back then. So, like, it, was a, it wasn't... like you, you know, you either surfed in Oxnard or... It's funny, like, growing up in Ventura, I never surfed Oxnard Shores or Silver Strand. Ever. Like, I never even thought to go there. I When I had the first time I ever filmed Timmy Curran... He had to tell me where Oxnard Shores was. No way. That's yes. totally true story. And it's literally 10 minutes. <laughs> yeah. Like, keep going down. You're going yeah. down Harbor. Keep going. Yeah. And I was like, no, yeah, never been there. Just never, uh, never thought to surf outside of Ventura. And you heard the story about when we first met, right? Uh, I've heard a few. So the, the very first time that we met in real life, uh, we had a friend introduce us. And Josh is like, basically telling us about this idea he has about wanting to do a skate video right oh, right yeah and like i'm like not really paying attention at all like i'm just like okay whatever 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 and he goes so look at this video I, I i've done and he shows me the surf videos union express which was like the video i had on repeat for the yeah. six months prior to meeting with him and i saw it and i'm like that's union express and he's like yeah i made it and i was like Oh, dude, I love you. And then from then on, it was like... And at that point in your career, you were probably like blowing him off. Huh? That's fully. Oh, yeah. The day <laughs> he for we, sure was. You, you, the day that we, that we went down to San Diego, right, where like the whole thing happened with St. Archer, I tried to blow him off for three days before the trip. Tried yeah. to blow him off. True story. Yeah. So, Josh, you, you made some actually pretty legendary surf films. 
I mean, obviously you're flow not going to say it like that, but yeah, tell we, us about some of the films you made. Yeah, we. Well, I made a film called Flow on on uh, Al Merrick, the surfboard shaper from Santa mm-hmm. Barbara, on his story. And it was really like he's the father figure to Kelly and Tom Curran and all this generation of surfers, right? So right. I made a film on that. We won a lot of film festivals and it did well. Sold a lot of DVDs. It was a three-pack DVD. Remember those days when you actually made money making movies? So but, coming up as a, as a filmmaker in surf, was mm-hmm. it? did you have an easy come up? How no, was the come up? No, it was tell, hard. Tell me about that. It was bit. hard because I didn't know anybody. Kind of like when I did St. Archer, I didn't know anybody in the beer business. But like making movies, I didn't know them. I just knocked on the Malloy's door with a video camera. You literally did that? Knocked on the door? Not, dude, I am not exaggerating. <laughs> I I knocked on their front door. Their dad, Mike Malloy, the, the Malloys grew up in, not grew up, they grew up in Ohio, but they grew up in, and then they were in the Keys. And I knew which house was theirs. And Mike Malloy would do like ding repair of all like the neighborhood kids surfboards, right? So I, I went, I would drive by. And then when Mike finally had the garage door open and he was like doing ding repair, I like stopped my car, got out. I'm like, where do your sons live? No way. And then I walked down the street. They lived on Peninsula and I, I knocked on the door. And, and then said, for, Can I film you or? for four straight months, I showed up at the beach. Yeah, but they said no the first They time, said right? no for, for four to six months. And I showed up at the beach at 6 a.m. at Rivermouth every single day, sat in my car, just waited for them to show up. And then, so there was a little persistence. So then finally, <laughs> Keith Malloy, Taylor Steele was making a new movie called Loose Change. And Keith Malloy showed up at, at Rivermouth and the waves were firing and I filmed it. And he said, hey, did you get those? And I said, yeah, I got all of them. And he said, let's go back nice. to my house and watch it. And I'm like, holy shit. <laughs> I, I mean, I think it was in focus. I, I'm like, and so we, I, like he, we went back to his house. We watched it together. He was like, dude, you know what you're doing. Great. He called Taylor Steele and was like, I have a kid. No way. That can film me and my brothers and Timmy up here. Right? So he said, you should call Taylor Steele. And I went, you mean me? Like called, it's the only time I've ever been nervous in my entire professional life. Seriously. Wow. And I was like this. Called him. Hi, Taylor. Is this me? Dude, it was ridiculous. Right? And he said, come down to Solana Beach and show me your footage. And I went down to Solana beach and sat in Taylor Steele's edit bay, a poor specimen no and way. watched my surf footage. And he like critiqued it. And then away I went, I filmed loose change. And, and some uh, of those videos won, if I remember yeah, correctly, my films, awards or yeah, my, my, we, they had a, the X dance film festival was a part of Sundance. Okay. It was like the outdoor films from, I won that back-to-back years with Flow and Against the Grain, the film I made on Tara Dakitas. She was a pro snowboarder. Nice. But like the surf stuff, those were the only two, you know, that really like did well in the festivals. And I guess the film I made on Todd Richards too did well. Um, but, But that was it. So we talk about this a lot. I think it's really rare to be a creative, a filmmaker, and then you moved into management, which I want to talk about. And then a CEO, you have like a little bit of everything almost. What, but what, at what point did you realize, okay, I'm making films, but I can manage these athletes also and be good at it. Or did it just happen kind of organically? Yeah. I don't, I mean, I, yeah. Because I actually don't even remember when you became a manager. Were you a manager when I met you? No, sort of, kind of. I mean, I, it, it wasn't like, I mean, so my, the way it happened was my, I made a music video 
the first music video I ever made was Timmy Kerr and Blue Eyes. Yeah, I remember that. Went to number seven on VH1. Yeah, I remember no that. People yeah. still watch music videos. Yeah. And like my name was on the screen and everything. I'm like, honey, tell my wife to come in. Like that yeah. was like a huge thing to be like, you grow up watching MTV and, Dude, and then absolutely. VH1. I actually made a music video that was on VH1 with my name. It was like, it was a big deal for me. Right. Crazy. And Timmy's video, like we made it for like 2,500 bucks, like oh, just right. camera and like put together a little story and it killed it. And Pat Magnarella was helping Timmy. He's Green Day's man or was Green Day's manager. Um, and he called me after he saw the video and was like, hey, I want to manage you as a director. Mm. And we'll get you an agent mm. at CAA. And like, if you want to make feature films or you want to keep doing music videos, like I'll help you do that. So then I started making more music videos and then we just built a relationship and he was like, I want to start a music. I mean, he had a music management business mm. where he managed Green Day, Goo Goo Dolls, All American Rejects, bands like that. Yeah. And he said, I want to do a sports management business as well. Do you want to do it? And I went, you mean manage athletes? And he said, yeah. And I said, well, I mean, my friends are like, you know, they're pretty good. But I don't know if they have managed. This is like when 12 year old kids didn't have managers. Yeah. Oh yeah. You're like, where are your parents? Mm -hmm. You have a manager, but you where are your, you know, you're 12, but it wasn't like, so I just, I just start asked Taylor Knox and the Hobgoods. And, and this is before you met Mikey. This is before I met Mikey. Okay. And then we had a mutual friend and who introduced us. And then Mike and I went to San Diego and I started managing Mikey, Sean, Mike, Sean Malto, Sean Malto, Mike Moe, and Omar Salazar. Nice. So from there, um, you were managing athletes, right? And kind of. I mean, kind of. Like this it, is the thing. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. I'm it, gonna shed some light on this one. So Josh me too, is. If you, yeah. Okay, so Josh, for those who don't know him, he I think can argue a deal or prove a point better than maybe anyone I've ever seen, right? Yeah. So for us, especially like being skaters, we felt very comfortable that he could get us not only more than we could, but there would be no one on this planet that could get more money than Josh could mm -hmm. get us, right? So there was comfort in that, but Josh wasn't managing our day-to-day Right. Totally. So I wasn't really like, a, I never felt like it, we were just friends. You were negotiating deals for people. Yeah. And I enjoyed. Yeah. And he was kind of doing it for free. Kind of. Yeah. Kind of. <laughs> I mean, I enjoy the sport yeah. of it. Yeah. <laughs> I remember. Like, I remember. And I still, so I still do it. Oh, I you still, do. yeah. Like I, I, you know, I've done like our friends who are involved in these businesses, I do their shoe deals for free. Nice. So, so when they, when the, the companies get my name come up, they're like, here, yep. It's, <laughs> he's not calling for free shoes. Um, yeah. but yeah, I, I never looked at myself like there, there's so many like great managers that actually like manage these guys day to day for us. It was more like we were really good friends and, and especially I think more so probably with Sean, like Malto, Sean, right? yeah, yeah, Malto. Yeah. He like, you know, he was just, he, things were kind of running through its course with Etnies mm -hmm. and Sean was really, you know, in a place where it was really a generational type thing. He was in a very special place to take his career to the next level. And I think I probably did more for him than I had done for anybody else. I remember, think, I, mean, I remember that. I remember that deal. It was crazy. I could, and honestly, if he were sitting I'll here, I don't know if he would no, say that, but I'll, I, I'll hype you up a lot about, about negotiating. I was I was surprised you got that deal. 
It was that yeah, bad. Yeah, I mean, it was good for him. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was huge. It was awesome. And he's a sweetheart. He's never, he's not going in and doing that. Oh, yeah. no, no, no. no. So I, I'm going to throw something out there. Let's jump into St. Archer. So yeah. let's hear the story. I mean, we've heard Mikey talk about you guys going on the train. Right. Tell us how, tell us about the start of St. Archer from, from your perspective. Yeah, it was really just the weekend before. Um, I just happened to be in Puerto Rico for a surf trip. The weekend before what? The weekend before Mikey and I went on the train, I was in Puerto Rico on a surf trip with okay. some of the guys that I was helping manage. So Taylor and yeah. Mick and, and all the guys. God, I almost forgot about this. Yeah. So I so there was a brand. That was that, the trip when Andy died. Yeah. 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 So there was, a, uh, there was a brand that approached Taylor Knox about investing in the business and being an ambassador. And he asked me what I thought. And I said, I don't see it. And it was vodka it was or tequila. tequila. It was hard alcohol. Yeah, and I just, mm. you know, Taylor's like the model of fitness for the tour, right? 22 years on 22, yeah. 23 years on tour. He didn't want to do the energy drinks or a soda sponsor. And I just said, just kind of out of the blue, well, why don't you do beer? Mm-hmm. I mean, everybody drinks beer. Like whether you drink one or one every six months, one a day, whatever. And then if you wanted to do craft beer that would be even better because we actually drink craft beer. And then the light bulb just went off in my head and went craft beer. Like, why has that never come from our culture of surfing and skating and art and film and all these things that make up what our culture is. And it was the one universal product where I was like, skaters use it, photographers, surfers, artists, everything that we are, everyone drinks beer. Yep. And, and, it, and like the, the brands that always influenced me were always rider owned and operated, whether it yep. was on a mission and surfing in, in the mid to late nineties, or it was girl. Like it's always been the ones where you're like, those guys, my heroes own it. I'm down. Yeah. You're always more down for that than the other, like faceless, some CEO dude that doesn't really, you know fit the culture that they're promoting right so let me ask you a question real quick about about craft beer craft beer kind of had a rise were you aware when they were negotiating these big deals were you aware at that time of the craft beer culture of course yeah okay i was aware of it but growing up in ventura the only craft beer brand that was worth a damn was firestone yeah right so like that's what we were living in ventura you're getting like a little bit of anchor steam in sierra nevada and Lagunitas and then Firestone, mm-hmm. right? And when I had the idea for St. Archer, craft beer was nothing. That's kind of what I was getting at. Yeah, it was it not, wasn't. Let, this, this sums it up. When I told a majority of my friends who all drink Coors Light and Bud Light that I'm going to do St. Archer, they're like, you mean a, a brewery like BJ's? Yeah. No, what beat pizza? No, dude, it's a it's a craft brewery. You, you they people come to it. He, it was like a they didn't get it. Can you tell the story? We're going to blow him up right now, but can you tell the story about Mick trying the beer for the first time? You mean when he spit it all over <laughs> us? <laughs> Yeah, he's, and now he owns a brewery yeah. on the Gold Coast. I, I don't know the story. Yeah. Oh Let's my gosh, it. do you want to tell it? Yeah, go ahead. So, we're in Australia and basically pitching to Mick to Mick about this kind of brewery. And we have For if anybody by any chance doesn't know who he is. Mick Fanning. Mick Fanning. Yeah. And, and it's going so well, right? Josh can really tell a story, <laughs> right? It's going so well. He's basically like fucking sold, 
right? And he goes, well, <laughs> let me try this stuff, right? Josh's like, great, we have it. Gives him the beer, he cracks it open, and it's this one. He's all, oh, mm. mate. Oh, this is fucking terrible. <laughs> like, no sensor. Like, and I'm sitting there like, dude, my heart drops. I'm like, this is not good. And Josh goes, yeah, it's like a craft beer, dude. I'm all, like, uh, yeah, I'm all, this isn't Tui's, man. Yeah. Like, this is an acquired thing. He's all, mate. It's, it passed it's, on it. Yeah, he, he was. And because we, of that. We got up and I'm like, man, I don't, I don't think he's going to be investing. <laughs> It was oh, it, it was not good, but yeah. but um but then so yeah so then I was in Puerto Rico and then the next weekend I just happened to be with Mikey, and I'm sure you've heard the story, but we we went down to San Diego and we were gonna take the train, and mm. that was what the film was based around. And we got to San Diego, it was raining, and it just you know just the guys went out, we went back to the hotel, and you got a call from Mike Mo Mike Mo to do probably Glassy. So when we drove down to San Diego, it was the first time we really hung out. Right. right? And for two and a half hours with Davis in the back, Davis didn't say one word. No. We're talking about the skiing industry the whole time. Right. Right. Yeah. And the, it was like, dude, we were fired up, right? Like arguing with each yeah, other. Yeah, it's raining. We're yelling at each yeah. other. Davis is like, what the hell and is Davis wrong with you guys? so over it, right? Yeah. So I get a call from Mike Mo and I was just like, hey, dude, what do you think about this? Like, this is like his idea. He's going to do glassy. And we're in the hotel room. Yeah. Like two double beds. Yeah. 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 And yeah. Josh is like, yeah, it's cool. But like, it's not like new. Like, it'd be cool to do something like that's never been done yeah. or something special. And then like, whatever. We like, don't think anything of it. Like, turn on the light. And Josh goes, like beer, like craft beer. And then light goes on. So then, basically, your mind had been brewing from seeing this. This. Yeah approach of beer companies to surfers and then you guys connected and it it made sense no it was more so like the the brands like girl and and gotcha. on a mission and a, a majority of skate brands that just influenced me and i just thought that's my favorite thing yeah let's take it to a product that we use but isn't no one really associates our totally. culture with it and i think that's like that's where the like that's where the entrepreneurial mind comes in, right? Because really as an entrepreneur, you want to disrupt. So when the disruption starts, it's the fun part. Then when the disruption is over, I'm done, right? So, but in the beginning, when you're really pissing people off, that's yeah. the best. Josh that's, loves That's that. why <laughs> you're doing it, right? You're like getting fired up and you are looking at a segment going, I can do it better. And I felt like that. I didn't. I didn't necessarily feel like I could brew beer better because I've never brewed a beer in my entire life. Yeah. And I didn't know anybody in the beer business, but I felt like I could build a better brand than than everybody else. Totally. And whether that was true or not, I don't know. That was the confidence I had in myself to to do that. So let's talk about um, moving into raising money. Did you guys consider? Um, I don't know if this is, I'm just going to address all the questions at you and then Mikey can jump sure. in whenever it's applicable. Did you consider doing St. Archer without money or when, at what point did you realize we're raising money? So Mikey, Paul and I, cause Paul mm -hmm. was just as involved in this. Um, we, at first we were going to contract brew it. So mm -hmm. I was making movies and obviously Mikey with DC, Paul with Nike. And we would just in our spare time, like try and learn as much about the beer business as we could. And we were going to contract brew it. So we went and met with this company called Bayhawk in Los Angeles. Remember that? Yeah. Then course. we went to this brewery. Indian Wells. Indian Wells, <laughs> which is basically like you're in Mammoth. Yeah. And then yeah. you turn around and come back. Yeah. 
and we were going to contract brew it. And I, I, we, we sat in this meeting with Indian Wells and, and the guy goes, so you guys are like huge craft beer fans. Like, you know, it's great to have you here. I really like what you're doing. You guys are skaters. That's so cool. Blah, blah, blah. You know, like what's your favorite craft beer? And I'm like, well, you know, we're still trying to figure that out. Like, you know, we're, we, we, we like craft beer and, and Paul goes, I'll take this one. Bud Light Lime. I'm all, Paul dude. Paul said that, really? I'm all, he totally said it and Josh started sweating. Josh I'm all, like, Paul, hey, this good. next time I'll handle all of the beer centric. Just, you look That's pretty amazing. all the time, man. Just sit there and we'll do. And then we got to the financials of it and the guy goes, yeah, so like it, it breaks down to where... You know, you you pay us, you know, eighteen dollars for the case, and then you know you'll probably turn around and sell it for eighteen twenty five to the distributor. And I'm like, <laughs> doing the are doing, those actual margins? Doing they were the, doing the quick awful. math, going. So you're telling me we're making twenty five cents? Wow. Oh well, that. this was fun. Yeah. We're driving home, and and Paul, Paul and I are in the back seat. And we had another friend with us and Paul goes, we're like, what are we going to do? This was a good idea. We're over it. Like, let's just go back to doing it. We kind of we gave up. Yeah, we were yeah. done. Hmm. And then Paul goes, yo, turns to me in the backseat. Yo, we should, we should like, we should get Kim Kardashian on this shit, dog. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm on, what do you, what do you, like, what do you mean? And he's like, I mean, like we should get, this thing needs to be bigger. Like this need, like he's all, maybe not Kim Kardashian, but you know where I'm going dog. Like, you know what I mean? And I'm like, yeah, I know what you mean. He's all scared money. Don't make money dog. And I'm like, so should we do a capital raise? Yeah. And he's like, let's go get millions. <laughs> and I was like, I don't even know how to give. I don't even know anybody with any money. That was the best. This and, was the uh, best. story. And so I was like, I guess, well, yeah, we should like raise capital. And then a couple of months went by and we met at uh, when the barracks was in downtown. Mm-hmm. We, we met there and we went out to dinner, Mikey, Paul and I. And it was really just at a point where it was like, either one of us is going to go do this thing or it's going to be a good idea and we'll let it go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I said, I'll do it. I'm going to do it and I'll quit making movies. I'll completely stop managing athletes. And I went home and told my wife that we're, we're, I'm going to do St. Archer and my daughter was four and my oldest son was one and we're moving to San Diego. Cause I don't think we should build it in Ventura and leave the only home and friends and family we've ever had. And she said, I'll find us a place to live. So your decision, Josh, to go all in, how did you make that decision? Was it a numbers thing? Was it a gut? What was it? I guess it was a gut. And I just made the decision on the way home. And, and there was not, no looking back. There was no, no it was I'm not big on, on, uh, like kind of going back and forth once like we're doing it, like we're, we're doing it. And I remember, I remember you told me because I think originally we talked about possibly doing Ventura, right? For sure. And you were like, dude, the mecca of craft beer is San Diego, and we have to be in that center to to essentially compete. I think for me, I enjoy the pressure of the jumping into the deep end. Got you. So I wanted to be in the biggest pond with the biggest fish and see how well we could do. And Ventura... You know, it just, it just, there's only a hundred thousand people in the city. It's mm-hmm. like, you want to build a business that's going to like really to be a national business. 
you're not going to do it in Ventura. I mean, Firestone is a unicorn of a brand to do that in Paso Robles, right? Like it just, yeah. It, and they started so many years ago and built a great business, but really, I mean, I think it, what gets lost in a lot of these conversations about entrepreneurs, especially ones that are married with kids, which are a lot. Yep. I mean, my wife, Janine, like that's, there's not a lot of women that would say, I'll find us a place to live. No fight. I'll find us a place to live. Yeah. Right. My boy Kelly was like, you're moving to San Diego. What are you going to do? How are you going to, you're going to pay rent. Shouldn't you think about a house? Like, what do you do? What are you doing? Yeah. Right. Like it was, you know, it was yeah. more like you get more from your friends like that are like, dude, this is like kind of crazy. Yeah. And this is at a point, yeah. this is, this isn't Josh right now. Back then, this right. is this is way before. Yeah. Even though I think we all knew what you were going to become, this was before you had done anything like this. So to kind of say, like, I'm going to leave my job. Yeah. I'm going to move to San Diego. It was we're crazy. Start this. Yeah. It was dude, crazy, it was and 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 it was crazy. It, I mean, Janine, I would say, was the only one who was like, he's going to do whatever he. I just believe it. And she's always been that way. Like when I was making surf films, she never thought I was crazy and never thought it was stupid. And, and when everybody, when I didn't have any money and I didn't, you know, she never like, yeah. well, she's never done that. Like she's always been my biggest support. And I think like, that's a huge reason why I've been successful is because I go home and she supports me. That doesn't mean that she has not hated St. Archer multiple days yeah. and, and all these other businesses and me, yeah. right? Like that's, that's real too, right? These like rainbows and fairies for these business. Nah, this shit's a grind yep. and so, it, it's hard, right? Like it's hard. Let's talk about that. So tell us about raising money because you're, let's just frame it up a little bit. You're raising money for a product that you don't yet have. And, and we're talking about slight um, setback. <laughs> yeah. So, and we're talking about St. Archer at this point. Yeah. Yep. So you're raising money for a, a product you don't have. And right. You're essentially selling people a dream or this is what's going to happen. Not essentially. That's exactly you're what you're selling people yeah. a dream. So tell us about how that went and the, the challenges in raising money. I think being naive, I didn't even know what a capital raise was. Um, I didn't know anyone in the beer business and I was not a brewer and I had no beer for them to taste. Right. But the story that we had was very unique. And I think having Mikey and Paul putting us in front of the world's best skaters and then having them believe in like basically the overall vision of the company that I saw in San Diego, once you get, you know, Eric Hostin invests and then you have all these other guys come on board, Sean Malto and, and you have Taylor Knox and you have all of these different guys, right? Like it, it creates a great story. And I think if you're on the outside looking in, you're going, that's like the craziest thing ever. You, you have all of these different athletes and they're putting their own money into this thing. And you know, it just, when you, if you're not from our world and you're looking at it, you're like, I want to be a part of that. Yeah. Yeah. And somehow we, you know, I moved to San Diego and I just started meeting with people. Like I didn't know anything about anything. And I just started meeting with people and one person led me, you know, one guy had put in 25 grand and he'd be like, yo, I got this other buddy. He might put in 50 and he might. And somehow I raised 2.8 million. I, I have no idea how, like look, looking back on it now, it's the craziest. And no one ever said, so you're not a brewer, huh? <laughs> like no one ever said that. No one ever said, dude, I really need to try the beer. 
How does that feel with that? I mean, obviously it's great taking money, but there's a responsibility that comes with that. And you're not taking money from random people. You're taking money from Eric Hostin. Right. From all. So that must be a pretty intense pressure. Yeah, it wasn't for me. Why do you say that? Because I knew it was going to be a success. Got you. So I've never looked at that like I've never and I Oh, I'm sorry. You're saying it wasn't a pressure for you. No. Okay, got you. Got no, you. I never felt I've never felt pressure of taking other people's money. Got you. Because which you is, were sure which it was maybe is like a, a fear mechanism that doesn't <laughs> exist in me that maybe that's good. Yeah. That I just never I think 100% this is going to be successful. There is no way we're going to fail. And I'm going to die until we're going to get to that point where the, I mean, I'll, I'll give it everything, sacrifice everything. Yeah. And I will yeah. say this kind of on the point you made about, you don't really spend time going, should I do this? Should I do this? Right. You're very, in my eyes, black and white when you make a decision. Right. And I'm sure that process is comforting or, or there's something about that process that makes you feel confident. And yeah, I think once you jump in, it's just like, there's no sense in work. I mean, I've probably raised you know, in the last six yeah, years for these multiple <laughs> businesses, well north of 20 million now, nice. you know, and I've, and I've never been like, well, oh, shit, what if this doesn't work? Yeah. Well, you start thinking like that, you might as well give it all so, back. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Right. Totally. So it's, it's, it's just, it just, you know, and I, I it's not like it wasn't always like this, right? Like it, I gained a lot of confidence as we went along here. Yeah. So why don't we talk about the transition from manager yeah. to CEO? Yeah. Um, I and still so don't know funny, what the man. hell I'm doing, man. I, I don't so, know if I can even. It's so funny because I, I got to I got to experience it firsthand watching you go through it. Yeah. Um. So I, I mean, there's a lot of crazy stories I could think of. Just the first time you had to fire somebody. Yeah, that was uh, fun. So, so what, what were some of the struggles, or what was hard going through that? I think the biggest struggle was, um, and and Frank Foster, who was our biggest investor and lives in Montecito, runs a venture capital firm there. Um. He, before we got started, he said, if this thing is successful and I believe in you and I believe in the brand, this is going to be the most lonely time you've ever been through in your entire life. And I didn't, I didn't really understand it. And then it, it really is like, as you transitioned into running a business and you're hiring people and now people are like sacrificing careers to come on board and you're giving them equity and you know, you're, it's like you're, but but then you're kind of segregating yourself mm -hmm. because you can't have the normal conversation with employees. Like, God, well, this isn't working out. What do you what, what do you think about this? What about this? What, you're not really doing that because you're the end all answer. And mm -hmm. I, a lot of the times, I was like, I'm not really sure because I've never been in the beer business. I I don't, you know. So it was a huge learning curve. But I think the biggest thing for me was. I know what I'm not good at. Like I'm real. That's very crystal clear in my eyes. What I'm not good at. What are you not good at? I'm not good at a lot of stuff. <laughs> I'm not, I mean, I'm not good at a lot of stuff. I I'm like anything like day to day, like paperwork, dude, if you asked me to like email you something after this show that I needed to sign, dude, this thing's not going live. Yeah. It's not happening. Right. Like the, as far as like busy work structure, organize awful, like really bad. And so I, and I, I didn't know anybody in the sales. I didn't know any brewers. Right. I and I was just like, what I identified was I'm going to go hire the best that, and I'm just going to convince them that my new business is going to be the best decision they've ever made in their careers. 
Great. And and fortunately for me, really, it was Jeff yeah. Hansen, who who was a, a veteran in the beer business with Sam Adams and Boston Beer, and then was the vice president of sales at Coronado in San Diego, and really turned that business around. Took them from five thousand barrels to eighteen thousand barrels in basically two years. And I I ran into him at a conference and. I took him out to lunch the next day and said, what's it going to take for you to leave? And he took a massive pay cut and took some equity and really developed the sales strategy plan that that was the perfect compliment to me and building a brand and then him building the brand in the streets. And what was his role at St. Archer? Ultimately he was our vice president, but he came on as vice president of sales. Gotcha. And then, and then Jeff is really was really running the day-to-day -day business and, and with St. Archer, we were only selling beer, you know, so we raised money just to kind of backtrack and make it, have it make sense. We, we raised money. We built a brewery just East of La Jolla in an 18,000 square foot building. We launched on tax day of 2013 on your birthday. No tax the, day is April 15th. No, no, no. The grand, oh, grand it we had a private party. The grand birthday. opening was on my birthday. Yeah. Um, I was at that one. Yeah, there you yeah, go. That's fun. And then we launched in the market and the brand went crazy. Yeah. I mean, it was a crazy, crazy run, but, um, but yeah, I, I mean, I think, and my, you know, we were only selling in three cities, San Francisco, Los Angeles, right. and San Diego. So I had time to focus on the brand, mm -hmm. the creative marketing and, and like all of those different things. And then, you know, and with villager, that stuff is done for me and it's all like traditional CEO yeah, yeah. role. But, um, yeah, so it, it was, a, it was, a the challenge for me was like just kind of the loneliness of it. And yeah. we were in a city where you didn't know anybody, you know? So it was, so the was loneliness weird. you're describing is essentially being at the top just for people that haven't been in this position, being at the top and not being able to have the normal friend conversations yeah. because you have to be basically the authority in my opinion the way the leader should run the business yeah. is there should be a huge separation which I, I remember that being hard for you in the beginning yeah because was, Josh I, likes talking to people I do I love people yeah, yeah. I love like talking to people I yeah. love seeing how they're doing and I but you you have to like change your personality and it, it just you can't have that relationship because you need to hire and fire and reprimand and you're not gonna do that when you just had dinner with them and their kids and you're playing in the backyard and yeah I so I pulled myself mm -hmm. completely back so I could have no emotion when I needed to make business decisions and that's hard man yeah you're like changing your personality yeah you know so you could be better at business totally basically. So I think every everyone kind of outside looking in, St. Archer looks like it was perfect and successful all sure. the time. Right. In your eyes, what do you what, what were some of the big struggles with St. Archer? It kind of was. Like perfect it kind of was. Yeah, kind of. No, I, mean, I mean, but think about it. Dude. Like we Ray. Yeah, I mean, we we, we for sure we had to fire people, but that's like, but dude, the brand seriously, it was like you, you we had things break our way that like don't happen for sure. You know, like we, we had islands, the islands restaurant chain, mm -hmm. two weeks into being in business in the market, they call and go, we want to put you in 75 restaurants. Okay. Well, they don't have, what the Dodgers two months in not available anywhere in Los Angeles call and go, we want to put the Blondale in the stadium. Yep. Wow. What do you that. mean? We're not even available in LA. You could only get St. Archer at Dodger games for eight months before we even hit the Los Angeles market. So, I mean, 
it was, what was really hard was the growth. And I think people, you can grow yourself out of business. Yeah. Yeah. You know, if you're not able to like have, and, and beer is a very capital intensive business. So you, you need to be able to raise a lot of money really, really fast. Yeah. And if you can't, you're screwed. Cause if you can't fulfill the orders, the bars are going to take you out and then that's it. The, it's That's it. Just out of curiosity, do you think we're in a time right now where everybody's trying to like accelerate growth or like a successful brand is like how fast you can step on the gas? I think that's probably all. I mean, you think it's always, yeah, I think no, that, I feel like before now, like it was like this kind of idea of creating a sustainable business. Right. And then it was like, to me right now, it's all about these huge, and, and this isn't more so what we do, but right. like, kind of a lot of these big companies is like how big of a capital raise can they get and how fast? Well, I think there's a lot of, there's a lot to be said for everything is so public now. So you're on Instagram and you're following your favorite brand. You're like, dude, look at these, like they're killing it. They're like doing this and they're doing that. And the perception, I think people are always trying to keep up. Whereas before, how would you know how Billabong's doing? How would you know what like Nixon's doing or what like you, you just wouldn't, how would you really know unless you're flipping through the, yeah, that's a good point. And so I think like, I think everyone has always wanted to grow as fast as you can and have people like your brand. But I think the pressure now, now, yeah, everything yeah. is like, you think every time someone does a capital raise, you read about it. Yeah. You're like, how are they raising 20 million? It must be like, you know? Yeah. So that's why I don't do any of it. So let's talk about the acquisition. Was there any part of the setup that you feel like was crucial in the sale of St. Archer? And I can't remember, is the, is the dollar amount public or private for the acquisition amount? It's private. It's private. Okay. Um, was there any part of how it was set up that aided in you guys getting to acquisition? No, it was just a phenomenal growth. Okay. And I think it was just the right time. Timing is everything. Yeah, I mean, now if you wanted to sell a craft beer, it's not happening. It's just not happening, right? Anheuser-Busch is done buying brands. Miller Coors is done buying brands. And they were the ones who were really driving the valuations up. And it just so happened that I needed to raise 10 million more dollars for us to keep up with growth. And then I got a call from Budweiser trying to buy the brand. And then I just said, wow, maybe we could actually sell this thing. And I made a film telling St. Archer's story and put together a deck and away we went. Okay. So that let's touch on that. You were basically at the point where you're like, we have to raise $10 million to grow Yeah, because it's a capital intensive business. Right. So you were doing that and then you got a call from Budweiser. Correct. And then that's kind of when the light went on, you said, maybe we should exit. How did you weigh out the decision to sell versus continue to grow? It's funny because this is a good question. Um, like as an entrepreneur, you, you feel like the, the, the number one answer is like, you're, you're adverse to risk at all costs, but actually I'm not, if there's an opportunity to like change my friend's lives, I'm not going to mess around with that. And that's not something I feel like a huge responsibility to not be the risk taker in those situations. And like, I felt like we needed more capital. How much was our equity going to dilute if I raised that capital And then, you know, what are the financial situations that all of our friends are in that have put money in? Mm -hmm. And I knew that I could change their lives. And that was, I didn't want to like risk it and wait a year and a half. And I wasn't willing to play with their financial future like that. I would have done it. I would have done it, but I just couldn't do it. I couldn't do it for everyone else. And I was right. If we waited a year and a half. That's what I was going to say, because that was 
that in was my the time. Eyes, the argument that is was that the time. These that Budweiser and Miller are actively buying brands right for now. For sure, they're driving prices up. The right. second they stop buying, we're not getting acquisitions, right? right? Or, or at the price we wanted to. And I think I, I I saw maybe a year ahead, like right when Budweiser bought Goose Island totally. in Chicago. I said, you know, a majority of your volume nationwide, if you, if you're fortunate enough to have that footprint, you're going to be a majority of that's going to be in the grocery stores. So when Anheuser-Busch and Miller Coors start buying up brands, well, they're going to go into all the national retail and go, you're putting in these craft brands Mm -hmm. Mm because they're selling millions of cases of Bud Light and Coors Light. Right. So I saw that a little bit early and said, guys, we've raised money. Like we're going to be a national brand. You can't raise $9 million and then tell all of your shareholders, actually, we're only going to sell beer in San Diego. Mm-hmm. That's when people knock on the door and it's not for free beer. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I think like I saw that early and I think that was the best decision. Um, but it was not, it wasn't easy either. Not everybody me. was happy. You hear the story. It sounds like everybody's happy. Was everybody happy? No, no. People tried to sue us. Yeah. Um, which is crazy, <laughs> right? And that was like my first, I'd never dealt with like you, you're like, you're handing a check with a lot of zeros. Yeah. And then we had people trying to sue us that are threatening lawsuits that weren't even investors and said they had a conversation with me at a fucking bar. And like, it was, yeah. it was crazy. Wow. And, and our attorney who's been our attorney, um, the whole way through for the last six years was like, this is standard stuff. So it was, and then some investors were like, you sold too early. I could have made more money. I'm like, you just made, what are you? I don't get, um, and I think for me, I was always like, man, you just like, well, that was fun. Shouldn't you just be stoked? And, and no, that wasn't, that wasn't the case all the time. It's so crazy. But there were a lot of tears, right? Don't get me wrong. A lot of hugs, kisses, tears. It was amazing. Yeah. Yeah. It was a good time. So after St. Archer. Yes. You stayed around and ran the company. Yeah. Um, how, how was that? How, how was that transition to essentially you having people to what kind of you were held accountable to or a boss or. Yeah, I didn't really have a boss. Um, and you know, I think Miller Coors, I think all the intentions were in the right place. I think we were the first craft brand they had purchased in 22 years since blue moon. Okay. And and there's a big difference between making a craft beer and brewing millions of barrels of Coors Light. And I think that I think it just it wasn't it wasn't matching up. And I think the way they the intention they had for the way they wanted it to go was just not reality and it just not from our world and they just didn't understand the way we did things and the way they did things. And you know, and, and for me, I'll be the first to admit, like, I'm not good in the corporate environment. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't, I'm not wearing Dockers and blue blazers ever. Like, that's just <laughs> Yeah, not and I, I remember talking, and you know, I felt like every week it was like, you were almost trying to convince yourself yeah. that this was good and you could do this. And by the end of the week, you'd be frustrated and it would start all over. Well, because I think they, they wanted me to be there, right? They, they left mm-hmm. me alone in, in terms of brand and mar- they, they never tried to like do anything that, um, I think it was just really hard cause I knew how to grow the business. And at that point, like the brand was established mm-hmm. and I wanted to grow the business into a national brand and they made some decisions that really hurt it. Um, and like switching distributorships in Southern California was really hard. 
mm. for us. We lost a lot of business. And that was just, I don't think Miller Coors is intentionally trying to hurt the brand. They just thought that's what you do. Yeah. You go in our network and it just wasn't the right call. And, and I think for me, I always want to protect the employees. And, and when I'm used to like giving raises or firing people just at my discretion, then that's the way I want to do it. But when you're a part of Miller Coors or any corporation, big corporation, they have standard practices and procedures and you do it that way. And I don't do it that way. Yep. Like you do it my way. And they said, you do it my way. And I said, I quit. Uh. <laughs> um, and I was supposed to stay for a year. I had a multi-year mm-hmm. deal. Um, I, I just 18 months in said enough is enough. And for everyone who doesn't know, I'm just going to tell you, tell everyone you were making a lot of money and for you to walk away, I thought it was like two years left. I had five years, five left. years left. You were leaving a lot of money on the table to yes. do villager. Yeah. Which is fine. I, I never, I, I leaving money on the table. I, I, I just, my I just wasn't in it anymore. Same exact thing. Drove home, told Janine, I'm done with St. Archer. She said, okay, now what? Like now what are you going to do? Right. Did and you I, know? Yeah. I knew I was going to go take the same role as, as villager. It, it, you know, Jeff Hansen and I had the idea for villager and, and you know, it was kind of like, it was the same thing. We were talking about it and, and, and we just said, okay, let's, let's jump in. Jeff left St. Archer two months before me. And that was hard. Right. And Jeff, there was a lot of things. He wasn't liking the direction of St. Archer and, and, um, you know, he, he just wasn't feeling it anymore and he left and then I left and, and I assumed the, the CEO role at, at Villager and, and, and Mikey being a part of Villager, um, along with the rest of our friends, we, we, it's obviously a bigger team now and it was a bigger vision, right? With Villager. We, I saw what we could do in the alcohol industry with our friends, but really like taking the, cause non-alcoholic beverages have used our culture to catapult their businesses, whether it was like Monster and Jeremy McGrath oh, yeah. or, or like P-Rod and Mountain Dew, right? Yeah. So they've really used who who we are. And I thought, gosh, that that's such a bigger audience, not water, coconut water, juice, food, like that's, and if I can convince my friends again and and some new friends, hey, I want you to leave your sponsorship deals. I want you to get out of them. And then I want you to put money into this thing. Mm-hmm. And and then that's the best story there is, right? It doesn't get any better than that. Yeah. When Paul Rodriguez walks away from Mountain Dew in that paycheck, which is a big one, and goes, and then I'm going to give you six figures to start this, that's, dude, you can't say anything, yeah. right? And so when once I did that capital raise for that business and, and the boys were really like dialed in and the only people who have invested in this business is athletes. So all of the money we've ever raised is from athletes in villager. Yeah. I didn't know that. That's so it. all the money you've raised for villager is from athletes. Correct. Wow. I didn't know that. So okay. yeah, all of the, everything we've raised to date has been just from them. And I think I've said it before. A lot of people have these misconceptions that all of these athletes are just rolling in millions of dollars. No. Oh Yeah. They're yeah. just, it's just that you, just because you're a pro skater and you see slash and thrasher doesn't mean he's, he's not making millions. Yeah. 
And so I think, you know, with Villager, it just needed me to come over and like kind of take it bull by the horns and and do what I know how to do. Mm-hmm. And it's really taken off. How different was it doing Villager as opposed to Way different. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's, tell us about that. It's way harder. It's way harder. Villager is much harder than St. Archer ever was. In what ways? You just are, you're in control of less. You're like at the mercy of, in non-alcoholic food and beverage, it's, it's you, you're at the mercy of the retailer. So like mm. you're going in and saying, you're going to meet with 7-Eleven and you say, here's my product. This is how great we are. And then they go, well, it's not the right time. We're not resetting our shelves for another seven months. Mm-hmm. Bye. Whereas in craft beer, I could say, I want to sell beer in Ventura. I'm going to put a sales rep in Ventura and he's going to walk into all 32 bars in Ventura and get our draft handle in there. That's way more controllable with villager. It's not controllable. Yeah. And then, and, and so then you're turning into like, you're running a business, right? It's not like, cause if people, you can't just go do marketing and brand things when people can't buy it. It's yep. like I can make a film on Mikey. He has 500,000 followers. Well, great. Cool. We're, we're available in Canoga park. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. What are you yeah. going to, what it's like, you know, Ryan makes this beautiful film and then it's, we're available in three stores yes. at Gelson's, <laughs> right? It's like, and yeah. it's, it's awesome that P rods posting about it, but everybody in Milwaukee can't buy it. Right. Yeah. So like you kind of stop thinking about brand and I'm just like, I got to build a business. And that's what we did. And we've done it fast in, in relative terms. Um, but it's, it's been really, really hard. So let's go over quickly, kind of just establish villager villager. How long has it been in business now? Two years, two years. How many employees? Five. I think it's funny. Is it really five? Yeah. Yeah. St. Archer was at like over 50. But the difference is with villager, you don't have a brewery, correct? I'm, we don't have, we have an office. Um, kind of, we just moved out of it. Um, we, yeah, we, we don't have an, I mean, I have an iPhone and, um, and a car and an F two fifty. That's what I have. That's like the office. Um, yeah, it's totally different. Like, you know, so we're an organic coconut water, right. And we get that from the Philippines. And then we also just introduce an alkaline water, which we, Mm -hmm. we make a lot of places all over the U S and then, and now we're going to be Little Villager, which is kids' organic, right. no sugar added juice, apple juice, fruit punch, and pink lemonade. And then it will ultimately spin off from there. We're going to be doing Little Villager cereal and bars and all these different snacks for little kids. And how, as far as distribution, how are, how do you distribute uh, Villager? Um, a variety of different ways. So it's a, it's a different system where you really have to get accepted by the retailer. And then there's a a distributor who will ultimately just drop it off. Okay. Right. They're not selling it in. They're not helping you get into Ralph's right. Like with St. Archer, you had a distributor. Yeah. And the distributor would actually work, right. They would actually go into the bars and like help you gain distribution for your business. You actually had a partner. Yeah. We went in, I went to a couple of parties with you guys. When you went, we're opening this bar, we'd go in, your Mm -hmm. rep would be there and Mm -hmm. you had a full distributor working with you to do that. So with Villager, it's days are, days are long gone. (laughs) Now it's really Jeff and I and our nice smiles. And hopefully we can get the product in. And fortunately for us, we've been able to do that. Love it. Yeah. In two years, I mean, 
you know, we're, we're rolling out nationwide with 7-Eleven and, and, um, you know, we have a great distribution with Target coming out in September, which is amazing. And, you know, we're, we're doing some great things with Amazon and, and just everything that's happening, you know, just, we were, in, we're in 250 circle K's in Denver and it just, it's about to get expanded to 550 circle K. It's, wow. it's really crazy. And then it's all over Southern California now. And forgive me for digging in here too much if I am, but w- when I'm asking distribution, who actually ships your guys product? Cause you, you mentioned five employees, but that's, that's not equating. You have all the ability to ship out all of this product. Who's doing that? A 3PL. A 3PL, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. So it's not, it's nothing exciting. Yeah. Right? And there's not this like rah-rah villager team in, in Encinitas that everyone's high-fiving, packing boxes. It's, it's <laughs> not, it honestly, basically. I would rather have that because it would be more controllable, yeah, right? Yeah, gotcha. Like Kelly and I could be high-fiving, like packing boxes, like drinking a beer. Everyone's yeah. stoked. Instead, you're like, you guys are doing it, right? I think you're in Riverside. I don't, what's going on? Right? You just, you don't know. You don't know, like we were supposed to launch, uh, Amazon and the product had to get from one place to another. It went to the wrong address and it like, now it's not going there in time. And now it's just like, you don't, and I just get updates on the phone. It's hard. I'm like, so what's the plan then? I don't, yeah, it's it. There's a lot of unknowns and there's a lot of patience involved, Yeah, which I'm not good at. So it's, it's, it's been a real learning experience for both Jeff and I, it's, it's been hard, really hard. Is there anything that you do that helps you deal with patience or lack of control or, uh, any kind of hardships that you're going through business or personal swimming and surfing is big and meditation Mm. is big. As I found through St. Archer, I found that that's a big deal. And I have three little kids. That's crazy all the time, man. There's no like. You know, I'm not, no one's cruising. Like there's, it's never, when you get home, they don't care what's going on. They're fired up and like trying to throw footballs at my face. You know what I mean? Everyone's fired up at all times. So there's not a lot of downtime. I just wake up early and that's like, I just wake up before everybody else does. Cause that's my only time when it's quiet. Yeah. Yeah. You are, you, as long as I've known you, you've been up early. Yeah. What do you have? What's your morning look like? Or what, uh, what, what's your day to day? Do you have a set day to day? No. No. It changes every day, which could also be stressful on a lot of people, mm-hmm. right? There's no structure. There's yeah. no nothing. Mm-hmm. It's really just like you're constantly just putting out fires and it's totally different every single day, which is exciting. But at the same time, it's, it's exhausting. Yeah. But yeah. So the traditional day, I try not to do a lot of the phone before bed and right when I wake up, mm-hmm. I hate my phone, dude. I don't like, I'm not like the guy who loves like Instagram. I hate it all. Which is why this interview is so exclusive. And why Josh has had four Instagram. I have, I like have a love hate with it. It's hard for me to like hate Insta because we built St. Archer on it and we built Villager on it, but I hate it for multiple other reasons. It's like, I just, I'm not, I would rather not be by my phone and just kind of enjoying the company of people and conversations rather than just this, which you are really good at. Yeah. I hate it. I really do. So I think, um, maybe that's been a good balance and yeah. So let me ask you this with, um, where things are going as far as distribute the distribution of goods, Mm -hmm. it is disrupting everything right now. Is that changing how things are done with food and villager also? 
You mean like there's more online? Yeah. There's all these companies. For example, we've interviewed a few entrepreneurs mm -hmm. and they have built entire businesses going direct. Sure. Of course, so you're, yeah. de you're describing a pain point of there's these retailers that have spent 50 years with shelf sure. space sure. and it's hard to get that shelf space. Right. So is that affecting your guy's business model with Villager and going direct and working? You mentioned Amazon. Yeah. Is there a, is there a, a future in going direct with the types of products you're making? I think for the types of products that we make, you know, like our juice, water, coconut water in, in those type of in beverages, no, okay. because it's so heavy. You're not going to ship it all over the United States. You get killed in freight. Gotcha. Right. So you, you, you'd be out of business in two months, but if you are fortunate enough to build some sort of a presence on Amazon and and really take advantage of what they're doing and and their hundred million prime members, mm -hmm. right? That that's that's a special thing for a company that's shipping really heavy products because those prime members they're paying for shipping no matter what. Yeah. So whether they order a case of our water or they whatever they buy a television whatever it's free shipping, and that for us is massive. It's massive. And I think you know grocery stores. Um, I think convenience stores in the U S I don't think that's ever going to go away. I don't think people will forever stop and buy a water and Absolutely, a cliff yeah. bar. And you're never going to stop at a grocery store to do that when your three kids are screaming in the back that they want juice, right? It's unreal. You're not going to get them all out and go into the, you're always going to stop and you know, Chevron or whatever you do. True. Um, but I think having, having Amazon for people build businesses just on Amazon. Oh yeah. You know? Yeah. I am, uh, to be honest, I cannot wait. I do this where I eat dinner. I order on Chow Now. It's an app. I walk in, my food's ready. I eat it. I love it. Chow and Now? Chow Now, yeah. That's, wow. It, it's amazing. <laughs> and I can't wait. I, I'm almost getting, I almost want to get the Samsung fridge where you can order all your food. It connects. They just don't have Amazon Fresh in my area. Yeah. But that, I'm so hyped on that. So. Yeah, once the Amazon Fresh, I mean, they, they really, you know, they're doing some unbelievable things. They're doing they really it. Are. They really are. Yeah. Let's give the audience some advice uh, yeah. if they're starting a brand. Maybe mm -hmm. we start with a capital raise okay. um, because you've done a lot of them now. Mm -hmm. um, in your eyes, is, what would you tell a kid who has the option to possibly start without a capital with his own money or having to raise money? Is there a you should or shouldn't? Um, maybe for kids who do need money and don't know how to do it. Um, any advice for them? Yeah. I mean, I think it's, it's really just having the, the biggest thing is having that undenying passion for whatever it is that you're doing. Like that passion that when you sit down with someone, whether it's your mom, your best friend or a complete stranger, because they, they want to see that. Like when, when I was raising money for St. Archer, what people wanted to hear and see from me was that I was putting it all on the line. And then once you prove yourself, you can put it on the line less. Right. But I was all in. They were like, this dude is moving his two little kids and wife to a city. They don't know that he, and he just has to figure this out or they're not going to eat. He's going to figure it out. And really, cause they're, yeah. the people are investing in you. They're not, they're not really investing in your brand. I mean, they are, I mean, how many people invested in St. Archer know about the craft beer business? Very few. How many people that invested in Villager? These guys, they, they don't know about the coconut water, water juice business. They're investing in me to do what I say I'm going to do. Yeah. And I think if people see that in an authentic way, you can raise money. It's hard to raise money. 
you know, you're, you're asking people for their like hard earned, how many people have 25 grand laying around? And when they give it to you, you better be ready, you know? And I think there is no real time to like, should you put your money in? Yeah. You should put everything you have into it. You should, you should do everything humanly possible. I mean, Mikey and Paul were helping me pay my utility bills when I moved to San Diego. You got to go all the way in. There's no like halfway doing it. Yeah. Right. So, um, and they don't teach you that at school, right? Oh, I'm so glad you brought that up. We should have asked that earlier. So Josh did not go to, you did not go to school. I was the worst student. I was an awful student. I hated school. And I, I only really went to school cause I played water polo in high school and I had to, you know, I love playing sports and I was an awful student. And so college for me, like right when I had the opportunity to work for Taylor Steele, college went right out the window. It wasn't even yeah. like, and my, here my, here my mom, bless her heart. She went to the university of Pennsylvania. She's an Ivy league graduate oh, wow. attorney. I'm like, she looks at me and goes, I love you, but are we going to think about the college, you know? And it just wasn't, I mean, my wife, fun little story to meet the Malloy's when I knocked on their door, I was like, I was going to try and like write an article about them and like submit it to like, that was like my, and oh, oh, by the way, I also film surfing. Right. And so I actually interviewed them and Janine, my wife wrote the article. I didn't write it. She was like, I'm going to help you do this. And I'm going to write it. And it says like, by Jeff, no, wow. it's, it's by her. Unreal. Yeah. So, but it's like, so for me, school was never so to make movies or, or, or do businesses. I just knew that I would figure it out. So what do you, th- what would you say to a kid who's kind of questioning? I don't know what I want to do. Uh, parents are pressuring, pressuring him or her to go to school, or he thinks he needs to go to school to learn it. Is there a, should they go? Is it personal? Is no, it- I mean, I think if you ever need to go to school to like learn a trade, that's whether you want to be a, yeah. a lawyer, a doctor, or you want to be like my boy who's cutting hair, right? Like he had to go to school to learn how to cut hair. Once you get out of school to cut hair, they don't teach you how to run your business. They don't yeah. teach you anything, man. And like having examples like Kelly and seeing like he did it. And I looked at him and said, dude, if he did it here, why can't I do it? Like, what's the difference? Just cause he built a hair salon. Like I could go build a brewery. And it's like looking at those types of examples and really just believing my mom always said I could do anything I wanted. I actually believed it, you know? So, and those examples were huge for me. Yeah. So as far as, uh, running, being a CEO, Mm -hmm. you started the business, became the CEO. Um, have you seen any people that have started business and stepped into other roles or maybe were not fit to be running a business. Yeah. And I mean, you can tell you're fit to run, like be the guy that's pushing it. Yeah. I don't mind being the guy, being the CEO, like the title thing. I don't really, I just want to win, man. I don't care about, I don't even have a business card. I don't care about being a CEO or them calling me the co-founder. I don't care. I just want to win. You just want to win. So like if you, whatever everybody's titles are, I don't give a shit about that. I just, I just, and a lot of people get fixated on like, these are your roles and responsibilities. And these are, dude, not, not me. Like, and everyone that works with us and for us, when I'll go wash kegs, I'll pour beers, like I'll drive and do this and I'll do that. I'll hand sell into the bars. I'll do whatever it takes. So like, 
Some people want to stay there, but I'll do that even when we're making millions of dollars and everything's yeah. killing it. I'll still go hand sell into a bar right now. Like, so there's no, you know what I mean? It, I do. The, yeah. So the CEO title, I mean, I get it, it's It's next to my name, but I don't, that, that, whatever, you know, it sounds like the philosophy is get it done, whatever. It's it almost like I, you have to have it for like the corporate structure and I, but I don't, I don't care. You know, yeah. and everybody I work with doesn't care. You know, like we're starting new businesses. Like my boys aren't saying, well, dude, I really need to be like the vice president of operations. Yeah. No, dude, he's willing to like die and bleed on the floor. He's not asking me if he can be the VP of operations. Love it. Is there any from your whole time doing this? Let's get into, are there any just practical? I don't want to be too vague. Are there any practical lessons for young starting entrepreneurs? It's just such a, it's such a crazy ride. And then for everyone who's ever owned businesses, right? Like it's, it's crazy hard and emotional. And like a lot of the times you hate it more often than not, you hate it, right? You're like, what am I even doing? Like, this is insanely hard. My wife hates me. Like (laughs) I haven't seen my friends. My mom doesn't even like, hasn't talked to me in four months. Like I, you know, like you're, you're away from your kids and you're doing, it's like, it's not all. So it's hard to like the motivational stuff. It's like, it's, it's hard for me because it's so hard. It's so like, so like the rah, rah stuff, I'm not the rah, rah guy, (laughs) right? Like I'm not, I'm not Tony Robbins. (laughs) So like, it's, it's hard. And if you have the balls to do it, then yeah, dude, jump into the deep end and like, don't, but this generation has a hard time with jumping into the deep end. They like, don't even want to jump, jump into the deep end and bust tables. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, so it's a different kind of mentality. And like I said, when you have examples of people that are older than you, that like grabbed their balls and jumped into the deep end, it makes you feel like you can do it. But those examples are going further and further away. Yeah. That's a good point. So it's, it's, yeah, it's just, it's hard, you know? Well, so it's one thing that you said kind of stood out. You mentioned that during the acquisition, you said that it was changing other people's lives and that decision is kind of what definitely. So what are you, what are the things, if there's anything else, if that's it, what are the things that drive you? Like what you, you mentioned your weaknesses. Yeah. What are the strengths? Um, What do you do good at? I do good at winning. He does more than that. I don't, maybe we should ask Mikey. I don't like, I hate losing. So I, that's really the driving force. I hate losing and I don't. And then when you win, it's like, okay, cool. We won. And I like that, but I hate losing. So it's. I don't know. I don't think I'm, I mean, I I can, I don't know. I'll step in. Yeah. Well, let me, before Mikey says, there's no way I'm going to sit here and say all the things I'm good at. So like, I'm going to throw this out before you answer. I'm seeing a pattern. You basically committed, you jumped in, you committed, you dove in, went all in, and then you decide to win and everything else is kind of a side detail. That's the pattern I'm seeing. So what are the, some of the things? So Josh is an incredible leader. Okay. And, and, and it kind of goes sure. back to the CEO role. CEO role. I know you, it's like you don't want a title thing, but he's leading everyone. Yep. And and especially like, and I listen to it all the time. There's so many ups and downs going through what he had to do. And he had to be the one that kept pushing people to continue to essentially, you know, make it happen or whatever. It's like yeah. you have to have that leadership role to get people to believe in what you're doing beyond just an investor. Definitely. He's incredible at that. Yeah. 
And two, he like with St. Archer, right? When we got the first offer, it was low. It was not what we ended yeah. up selling for. Yeah. And he drove that price up so damn high. He is just really good at it. There's more than just winning. He's he has this gift to just uh tell a vision and have people like just want to be excited about it you know i think it's why raising money for him is easier than others you know yeah i think i think um i coached water polo Mm. um when i was uh, 19 and then again when i was 22 did i tell you about this personality test i took no Oh, you got to take this thing, dude. Be <laughs> I don't even know. They're oh like, they're like you're you crazy for thing. sure. I don't even <laughs> oh. know. What I, I don't need to see it in I, writing. I'd be so <laughs> curious, actually, to know what your categorized. Yeah. Cater, cater, I can't ever say that word. Categorized. So, yeah. Uh, I wonder what it is. I don't know. But when I was coaching, I always, I say it, it, it running businesses is like coaching athletics. And, and I, I, I really loved coaching water polo. When I'm done with all this, I'm going to go back and coach water polo in San nice. Diego in that local high school. Um, and I, I miss it. And I think for me, that's where I learned a lot how to run a business. Cause you're, you know, we had, you have 10 players and, and you're, you know, some kids you can yell at some kids, you got to like put your arm around them. Some kids, you got to fire mm-hmm. them up. Some kids, it's like a calm speech. And like, I learned that as a kid like how to like specifically motivate each player to carry out my vision of what I saw in the pool. And really this is no different. So I think maybe I was just blessed to be in that situation of being able to coach. And that was like my only, that was my college. That's the way I look at it. And then my MBA was St. Archer, you know, like that was the, that was just kind of the school of hard knocks way to get there. That's kind of exactly what we're looking for. That was really good. I'm gonna wrap it up, Mike. You got wrap it up. Else? No, I just, there's I so mean, many. Dude, there, it's funny, man. Just talking about there's so many like memories and stories. To I know, it all. man. And there's some good ones. Let's kind of say that though, man. I remember when you guys started Saint Archer. It was like I can't fully describe it other than it was kind of magical. It was just really insane to watch it all happen. And we play did out. used to talk about that all the time, though. Yeah, it felt special. Yeah, all it the did. Time. Yeah, it yeah. wasn't like yeah. we were so like immersed in it. We didn't realize we. You definitely realize it was yeah. it was crazy. I I remember being at Disneyland with my family and seeing a guy walk by me in a St. Archer shirt, and I went, "We did it. We <laughs> made it. it." First time I ever saw a primitive shirt, I called P. Rod, and he, I'm all, "Dude, I just saw a primitive shirt at Disneyland." He's like, "That's been having it for years, dog." <laughs> and I, but that was like my bar. Like yeah. you see your apparel at yeah. Disneyland, yep. you did it. Yep. And when I saw that, I was, that was pretty exciting. Yeah. All right. Well, so for anybody that uh, is listening, go follow. It's at Villager Goods, right? Yeah. Do we want them to follow you personally? I was just about to say this because we always tell the audience right. how they could find you or get a hold of you. You're not getting any of that out of Josh. No. All right. Hey, no. I don't, this yeah. is what we wanted. So yeah. this is, this is like kind of the magic of, of Avni. <laughs> we want the entrepreneurs and the what they've done, we want to interview them intimately and personally. Yeah, we about want the it. ones so, that they that no one can that get. No one can yeah. get, and that's what we got. So um, we're happy. So go um, follow uh, follow at Villager Goods um, and at Eric Bor. I'm just kidding, dude. Look at just nailing it, nailing it. Uh, anyways, yeah. So also, if you are watching on YouTube, leave us reviews on iTunes. Those are greatly appreciated. 
And remember, you can always listen on the go on iTunes or you can watch it on your computer on YouTube. So, uh, Josh, want to say a huge thank you. Thanks, We're guys. We're really excited to put this one out, man. I'm looking forward to it. You can really watch it and all listen. Good, all those, yeah, yeah. <laughs> YouTube, iTunes, everything. Yeah, and yeah. They're, they're all. Man. We're opening up more, but those are the primary ones. Man, you so. guys are really doing it. We're doing, we're doing I like it. it. We're doing it. I'm in. Where's my shirt? Yeah, I'll take a t-shirt. Now that's there another conversation. Go. I want a t-shirt. We'll have that convo. After okay. Yeah. Okay. All right, you guys. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll call that a wrap. Thanks, Josh.